0: But I want to share something. The Lord put this on my heart, and it, it uh, stems out of um, after I came back from New Orleans, the Mardi Gras I went to a couple of weeks ago. And the Lord just put a message in my heart. It's not a new message. It's, to me, it's one, of the most, it's one of the foundational messages of our walk with the Lord. We're going to be talking about understanding our identity and who we are in Christ. And I'm going to be doing a series starting today. And today we're going to emphasize embracing our freedom from sin embracing our freedom from sin. And it's interesting because as, as I've was, as i been reading and studying and, and I knew the Lord wanted me to encourage us and talk about our identity, but I didn't know it was going to start with this. Uh, I, I had a feeling he was changing things up, and as I was just reading the Word and everything, certain things that I wasn't expecting started sticking out. And uh, the Lord started highlighting, so I recognized, okay, this is where you want me to go first, Lord. But we need to embrace our freedom from sin. And uh, it's so important to know who we are. And it's so important to know what we have, what the Lord's done for us. You know, this statement up here, it's been on a wall for quite some time. Freedom, it's who we are. It's who I am. That statement is more true than we realize. It's not just a cute statement. Oh, freedom, it's who I am. But there's a whole lot more behind that message. You want to talk about that today. Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 1. So the Israelites did evil. Actually, let's pray first. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for helping me share your message. And Father, I just pray that, that you would highlight, Holy Spirit, what you're wanting to emphasize. What you're wanting to, us to embrace. And I thank you that your word sets us free. And so we open our hearts, Father, we lay it down, we lay everything down, and we open our hearts to receive all that you have for us and what you want to say. We open our hearts for your conviction. And we thank you for your grace that enables us to repent and turn away from anything and everything we need to. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. So the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So it starts off with the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Israel was, they had a relationship with God. They were God's people, and they were in deep sin. And then the enemy comes in. The Lord allows them to come in and begin to wreak havoc, and they begin to wipe out their food supply, destroy their animals and their crops and everything. And so when it got bad, they started getting a little hungry, and it says, then they cried out, To the Lord for help. It's amazing how when, you know, we're doing our own thing, going our own way, and we're good, whether it's sin or whatever. But then when we start feeling the consequences, that's when we seem to start crying out and say, hey, Lord, I need help in this situation. Verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And here's what the prophet said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebbezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing, threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "Mighty hero, the Lord is with you." In some translation, it says, it calls him "Mighty man of valor." Valor means boldness or determination in facing great danger, especially in battle, or heroic courage or bravery. So the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, and the first thing he said to him was, Mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you, or mighty hero. One thing I find interesting here is up to this point, from all that we can see, what had Gideon done to earn the title Mighty Man of Valor? He was hiding in a wine press threshing out wheat, he was hiding. He was hiding, trying to get him some food so the Midianites would not steal it. And the first thing the Lord says to him is, mighty man of valor. And he hadn't done anything yet to earn that title. It's not about what he had or had not done. It's about who God called him to be. Do you think God was mistaken and came to the wrong place? said, mighty man of valor. Oh, sorry, (laughs) wrong wine press. God came to him and declared, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Then verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. With us. <laughs> if he's with us. <clears throat> let me try that again. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, wouldn't you think that this was a good question that that Gideon asked? He said, Lord, if you're with us, then why is all this stuff happening? I mean, don't you see what's going on? I mean, the enemy is really doing a number on us. And God didn't even acknowledge his question. He said, go in the strength that I've given you. I think the reason why Gideon or God did not answer Gideon is because Gideon already knew the answer. I mean, it said in a few verses before. It says, after the Israelites cried out to God, it says the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and the Israel, and the prophet told them what was going on. God did these things. He delivered you, did all these things. He said not to worship these idols, these false gods, and you did just that. You did just that. And put verse 25 up there, if you don't mind. Joshua 1, verse 25. The first thing that the Lord, and we're going to get more in detail later, but I just want to show you this, that after God tells Gideon to go and he's going to have him set people free and deliver them from the, the bad guys, the, here's the first thing that God told Gideon to take care of. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Now, from when I could gather, Gideon lived with his father. They all lived together. They have an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole in their front yard. And Gideon is asking God, God, why are all these things happening? In the beginning of the chapter, it said, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over. And you know, when you read that, and you think, well, they, I mean, God told them not to worship Baal and Asherah and those false gods. I mean, but man, was it really that bad? I mean, they probably just sang some weird songs to them and, and did some crazy worship things. Would well, you realize that that part of Baal worship included sacrificing children? Do you realize that? Taking babies and throwing them in the fire? To appease, because Baal was the God who, in you know, their belief, was a God who took care of rain and, and droughts and that kind of thing. So to appease that God, sometimes it meant sacrificing children. Killing babies to appease this God. God, why is all this stuff happening to us? And he had a, and you know, I was thinking as I was reading this, because he tells him to basically take care of, to take down the altar and take down the Asherah pole that it belonged to his father. And I thought, well, maybe that was just a, um, that was his dad's. In other words, it was their private thing. But if you look at the context, it appears that that was the, the altar and the pole that the whole community would come to and worship. Because it says when he took it down the next day, when everybody woke up and they noticed that the pole was knocked down, and it was all destroyed, and a different altar was erected, they're like, wait a minute, what is going on? And it said they they did some inquiry and found out that Gideon was responsible, and they said, bring Gideon out here. He's going to die for this. So if it just belonged to Joash's, I mean, Joash, Gideon's dad, I don't think the people of the town would have cared about that, but I believe they had a vested interest in that thing. So in other words, from what I can gather... And you can read this on your own and and see if if, uh, you come to the same conclusion. Gideon's father's house was maybe a center of worship. It was a place where people gathered to worship Baal and Asherah. So Gideon lived in this condition where they were worshiping these false gods. And then the Lord shows up. First, the prophet came and said, This is what's going on because of the choices you guys have made. And I don't think the prophet came and got in a closet and preached to himself. I believe everybody heard the prophet. That's why God sent them, so people could realize what was going on. And I'm sure, and this is speculation, Gideon heard the prophet too. So God already told him what was up. So when Gideon said, when God said, mighty man of valor, I'm going to send you to do this. And Gideon's like, well, if you're with me, why did all this stuff happen? God just ignored that. It's like, son, you already know. You already know. And the first thing he did was have him take care of the sin that he was dealing with. You know, a lot of people ask that question. If God is for me, if God is with me, you know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, when I was at the Mardi Gras, you know, I heard a lot of people out there saying how much they love Jesus. I'm not talking about the Christians who were there to to witness and that kind of thing and to worship God out there. I'm talking about the people who were walking down Bourbon Street. In the midst of the debauchery, holding these big, giant glasses of, uh, it wasn't Kool-Aid. And a number of them were inebriated and all this kind of stuff. And when we tell them, hey, we just want you to know Jesus loves you. Oh, I love Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. This isn't America. You know, we wonder why things happen. But sometimes we need to stop and look at what's going on. You know, Gideon became hardened, very callous to the sin that he was living in every single day. And he's like, I don't understand why this is happening. It's like, really? Are you serious? We can get so used to our sin and think it's okay. And maybe not necessarily see or recognize the consequences of our sin. And so we think, well, God must be okay with it because he's not doing anything. And we get become hardened. And then things start to fall apart. Things, relationships start to break down or, or just things start happening. And we're wondering, what's going on, God? What's going on? Now, I'm not insinuating that everything bad that happens in our lives is because of sin. I'm not saying that. But I will say that sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. And a lot of times we think that I can live in my quiet, personal sin, secret sin, and it doesn't affect anybody. And that's not true. Beware, your sin will find you out. And you know the innocent people around you, a lot of times, suffer the consequences of your sin. You know, these people, these adults that worship Baal, and they had these innocent little babies, innocent Babies suffering the consequences of their parents' sin. And if if time permits, I want to share three major points today. Number one is if you are born again, if you're a born again follower of Jesus, He expects you and I to no longer live a lifestyle of sin. If we are born-again followers of Jesus, he expects you and I to not live a lifestyle of sin. So if I claim to be a born-again follower of Jesus and I'm living a lifestyle of sin, then I'm not following Jesus. And I'm deceiving myself if I think God is okay with that. John chapter 10, excuse me, John chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. Remember the story of when, it's in, a, in the Bible it will be titled, the woman who was caught in the, Adul-, excuse me, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know that story, John chapter 8? And it says basically the religious leaders were trying to set Jesus up. They were trying to trap him. So they caught this woman in the very act. I guess she was committing adultery by herself because it says they brought her. Some of you will get that a little bit later. There you go. But they brought this woman out, and they said, this woman was caught in the very act. The Bible says, or excuse me, the law says she deserves death. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus. And, you know, he wrote in the sand. We don't know if he was playing Connect Four or what. But he was writing in the sand. Then he gets up and says, you who have not committed sin, you throw the first stone. Boom. Gotcha. Then they begin to throw the rocks down. They begin to walk away. And then Jesus says, in verse 10, he says, Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Pause. That's what most everybody remembers about that story, and that's where they stop. You know, Jesus doesn't judge nobody. Look. They, we recognize the compassion, the forgiveness, the mercy He showed this woman. And see, Jesus, she was a you now a woman doing some bad things, and Jesus says, "I don't condemn you either." But that's not all He said. He said, "Go and from now on, no, excuse me, from now on, sin no more." He expected her to change her lifestyle. It wasn't okay with what she was doing. He wasn't saying, it's okay with what you were doing. That's not what he was saying. We think that, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm kind of weak. You know, I do these things. I mean, God, you know, he knows. He knows. Yeah, he knows. He knows. But he's not saying it's okay. Those of us who are followers of Jesus and born again, he expects us to live a lifestyle free from sin. John five fourteen. Remember the guy who was healed? Of, um, he was by the pool of Bethesda, and that's where an angel of the Lord would come stir the waters, and the first one who got in got healed. And there was a man there for 38 years who had been lame, and before he could get in the water, someone would get in before him, so he had a hard time. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he's like, well, I want to, but explain the situation. Jesus says, get up, be healed. Take your bed and walk. And then later on, there's a discourse, and then later on, uh, it says, a short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, look at you now, you're healed. Walk away from your sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. He didn't just say, be healed and go your merry way. Walk away from your sin. Another translation says, sin no more, lest a worse thing happen Now, maybe what, whatever his condition was, maybe sin caused it. We can kind of infer that there. Maybe, maybe not. But Jesus said, turn away from sin so that a worse thing doesn't happen. He was expecting the man to turn away to repent, turn away from sin. Jesus didn't wink on sin. If you're a born-again follower of Jesus, he expects you and I to no longer live a lifestyle of sin. Number two. Sin will bring death and destruction into your life and the lives of those around you. Now, I know that this is not one of those hallelujah, amen, thank you, Jesus messages. Because I'm not hearing too many of those this morning. But this is a message that will change your life. That's what I'm concerned about. And if you begin to feel uncomfortable and more uncomfortable, thank you, Jesus. Because things that we are doing, we are doing, things that we're participating in that no one knows about, we think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Because one, nobody knows about it, and I haven't, nothing's happened to me yet. It's like, that's not that big a deal. The wages of sin is death. And sin will bring death and destruction into your life and the lives of those around you if you do not repent. I'm sure many of you in this area who live in Stillwater, who live in Payne County, have seen it on TV or read in the newspaper, the horrific situation that happened earlier this week where the gentleman not only killed himself, but he killed his two babies. Then he killed himself. Anybody heard about that? See, that is the end result of sin. And there you have two innocent little children that suffered their daddy's sin. That's like sin played out. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. You notice that's progressive. Progressive. He wants to steal from you, and if he gets away with that, then he wants to kill you or kill things in your life. And if he can continue, then he wants to destroy you. And here's a family that is destroyed. That situation got a little personal for me this week. I was invited, I was called out, middle of the night, to go and and help deal with that situation. I was out there for six hours. I was in the home, me and the other chaplain were in the home confronting the lady who just found out, who we were telling her, her babies are dead. I was in the home and I was looking on the walls and it had the babies' names. And all these toys. And this woman is never going to see her kids again. This is right here in Payne County. And this man had a past with drugs and everything, but you know what? When he first started that that drug thing, he did not foresee that down the road it was going to take out his kids and him. See, we think sin is fun and okay. Sin is pleasurable for a season. But the end is death and destruction. Destruction. You know, when we hear about things happening with adults and, you know, people get killed, men, women get killed, it's tragic, and we deal with it. But all of a sudden, when kids are involved, it's like at a whole nother level. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were worshiping Baal, sacrificing their children. That was not okay. That was not Okay. When I used to be bound by and struggle with pornography, I used to think that this isn't going to hurt anybody else. Do you know how many families pornography tears apart? Do you know how many innocent children or innocent wives or husbands, whoever are affected, are impacted? Because of the secret sin of the person in the room on the computer. The innocent little sin that's not going to hurt anybody. You know what broke me down and and made me want to be free? When I would allow my mind or my mind would be going in a certain direction. And the Lord would tell me. Some of you may not believe it was the Lord, but I do. He said, go ahead and take that thought out to the fullest, to the end result. In other words, you're sitting there thinking certain stuff, and he would say, follow that thought all the way through. Which meant is you take that thought all the way through the consequences. Your kids finding out, your wife finding out, your, your church people finding out, your community people finding out, your marriage falling apart, your kids despising you. You're there. Is this worth it? The secret little sin that's not hurting anybody? Is it worth it? Is it worth the destruction of your family? No. You know, when we we look at drug addiction, that's bad, and it is bad. Look at alcohol consumption, that's bad. It is bad. Getting drunk and all that kind of stuff we say this is horrible that man that is horrible how could you do that but yet then we gossip and put a christian term on it Say so we're praying for let me we need to pray for these people because let me tell you why we need to pray for that man and then we gossip and we talk about people in a way that is not honoring to them and we want to put christian terms on it so that we feel good about it and we're okay Do you realize in Proverbs chapter 6, verse something and something? I forgot to look it up. Proverbs chapter 6, towards the end, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Did you hear that word? It's a big word. If the Bible says it's an abomination to God, do you think it's pretty bad? You know what it says? The seventh thing? A a person who spreads strife among brothers. He didn't say drugs. didn't even say murder. A person who spreads strife among brothers. A person who causes problems. A person who causes... These two brothers may be okay. Robert and Thomas. And I come and start talking to Thomas and telling him some stuff about Robert. Man, Thomas, you need to pray for him. Pray for who? Robert. Let me tell you why I need to pray for him. And I start saying things that all of a sudden causes Thomas to see Robert in a different light. And so every time Thomas sees Robert, he's going to have a certain opinion of him tainted by my words to him. And so all of a sudden, he's going to begin to view Robert in a certain way and begin to back off, and then he may be encouraged by my wonderful influence to go tell Adam, Adam, man, we need to pray for Robert. Why do we need to pray for Robert? Oh, you didn't know? Well, let me enlighten you, my friend. (laughs) Exactly. Spreading strife. Causing each other, to see a person in a dishonoring way. That is not okay. It is not okay. Sin will bring destruction and death into your lives and the lives of those around you. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. You know, you reap what you sow. If you sin, 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 then you're going to reap a harvest of death and destruction. I'm going to have to share this next week. I'll be continuing this next week, but I didn't get as far as I was hoping to. But I want to share one last thought, the last thing. Those who have committed their lives to Jesus and are born again have been set free from the power and bondage of sin. You have been set free from the power and bondage of sin. If you're born again, you have been set free from the bondage and power of sin. It's not someday when Jesus comes back, I'm gonna be set free. When you're born again, you are set free from the bondage and power of sin. John eight thirty one thirty two. 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. As you continue in his word, John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Romans 6, 1 through 3, 6 and 7, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I have, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Everyone say no longer. longer. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Now, we're going to go into more detail next week. I just want to introduce that to you, and I want to encourage you this week for your homework assignment to read Romans chapter 6. Read it in different translations. Read Romans chapter 6 over and over and over again. It's amazing. It's powerful. And it tells you what you already are, what you already have, not what's going to happen someday. See, we relegate the gospel of Jesus to forgiveness of sin. I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. And that is amazing and wonderful. He doesn't hold your sin against you. But that's not the whole message. You are not only forgiven, but you are free from the power of sin. And that's a whole different thing that we need to get a hold of that we're missing. Because sometimes you and I hear this, and maybe we've even said it, that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And as pious and religious and sweet and cute as that sounds, that is a lie. When you say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, then what you're saying is, I'm forgiven, but I'm still a sinner. And I'm still going to sin, and God understands because I'm just human. That is not what the Bible says. And that flies in the face of biblical truth. When Paul says, you are free from the bondage of sin, you have been crucified with Christ, you have, you have, you join him in, in his death, and you certainly are in his likeness, in his, in his resurrection, which means you are free from sin. So when the Bible says I'm free from sin, then how can I say that I'm a sinner saved by grace? I was a sinner, and I was saved by grace, but now I'm free from sin. Do you see the difference? If I believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace, then guess what? You're going to live that reality out. And that's why many Christians live out the reality of being born again. They love Jesus, and they're bound by all kinds of addictions, And even doing stuff that they're not even bound by, but just sinning and thinking, well, God understands because I'm only human. And actually, you're not only human. That's another lie. Because if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You're not just human anymore. And it's His power inside of you, that transforming power, that gives you the freedom over sin. But if I'm free from sin, then why am I still sinning? Because of a choice that you've made if you're in a prison cell right here and someone comes and unlocks the door and opens the gate and you're still inside and they say, you are free to go. And then a week later, that person comes and sees you still standing in there. Say, hey, bro, what's up? Oh, I don't know. Just a sinner saved by grace. Why is he still in prison? Because of a choice that he made. He chose not to appropriate the freedom that was just provided for him. So it's not a matter of being helpless and hopeless. It's a matter of learning how to appropriate the freedom that Jesus paid for us. And that's what we need to do. See, that's why Jesus can say, go and sin no more. That's why he can say, you need to forgive from your heart. He doesn't just expect us to do something and him not give us the ability and power to do that. That would be cruel. That would be cruel. If he said, quit sinning, and he didn't give us the ability to quit sinning. But he said, stop sinning because he gave us the power, through God's grace, to stop sinning, to be set free. Now, we need to learn how to walk in that. But the first thing is, is we have to come into agreement with that. We have to get rid of this lie that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is not part of my identity. See, that's why Gideon, when God came to Gideon and said, oh, mighty man of valor, and all he had been doing was threshing out wheat, hiding in in the wine press, and had been worshiping Baal and Asherah, but God says, mighty man of valor. It's like, wait, who are you talking to? And see, God does the same thing to you. He comes to you and says, you are My beloved, you are a mighty man, a woman of valor. You are going to do great things with me to set people free. And you haven't even done anything yet. It's like, wait a minute. He says, that's who you are. Gideon, that's who you are. You haven't been living that way, but that's who you are. And see, first God called him out. And then he takes them on this journey, and he begins to walk the process. And then at the end of the story, guess what? Then we would all say, that's a mighty man of valor. And that's going to be yours and my story as well. God's calling us out. He already has. And today he's reminding us of who we are. Freedom is who we are. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's made you free. You know why it's important for you to be free? Because one, he wants you to be free. He didn't want you to be bound by sin because sin brings death and destruction. And he said, I come that you may have life and life abundantly. So he wants you free so then he can, with you together, go and help set other people free. And that's what he did with Gideon. He said, mighty man of valor, let's get this done. He's like, well, but I'm, excuse, excuse, excuse. We'll talk about that later. And what was the first thing he had Gideon do? Take care of his sin. That pole and that altar in his front yard. need to deal with that. That's what we need to deal with. The sin in our lives is not okay. People play that game. I used to play this game. Well, God forgives me, right? God, I'm sorry for doing that. Would you forgive me? And then we keep doing it over and over again and thinking that, well, God has forgiven me. But you know, the Bible doesn't say just because God forgives you that the consequences are eradicated. You realize that? If you break the law, do something very bad, God will forgive you if you repent, but you still may go to jail. Does that mean God quit loving you? No. He loves you. He just changed your ministry location. It's called prison ministry. Now, I I enjoy prison ministry from the outside. I like to be able to go and come as long, you know. I like to be able to talk to Reese after I'm done and then go home and see my wife. Let's all stand up together. You know, as we were praying this morning, pre-prayer, pre-prayer, as we pray, that, anyway, that makes make sense. As we were praying this morning before the service, one of the things that came out that God was declaring and, and speaking through and revealing what he wanted to do is that those who chose freedom were going to experience freedom from addiction. That freedom is available today. Actually, the freedom was available and given to you the moment you were born again. But some of us, I mean, I, 2001, I found myself addicted, bound. But then I get, began to experience and walk into that freedom. But it starts with a choice, and a choice is repentance. We need to begin to see our sin through his eyes. That is not okay. It's not cool. It's not just a cute little thing. Just because the law says it's okay to have your medical card of marijuana or whatever doesn't mean it's okay in God's eyes to get high or to get drunk or to gossip. So if you'd you'd close your eyes and I'm going to invite the worship team, the ministry team, they would come up. Those who were here at pre-service prayer, if you'd come up, please. And we're going to continue this next week, and we're going to be talking about this. Because sometimes deliverance... Come on up, Gene. Sometimes deliverance is instantaneous, and sometimes it's a process. But both of them are wonderful because the end result. Amen? Amen? If you're dealing with something, have been dealing with something for a long time, and it's like, this is not okay. And you want to begin the process of being free, then I want to invite you to come up and let let these precious people pray with you, come into agreement with you, to encourage you, to bless you, to allow God to impart another measure of grace to help you in the journey of freedom. And for some of us, it starts with a choice. I recognize that this is not okay. The way I treat my wife is not okay. The way I'm talking about these people is not okay. These things that I'm doing that nobody else knows about is not okay. Father, I repent and I'm turning away from this. But it's the choice today. Father, I'm choosing to line up with you, agree with you, and turn from sin. So, Father, we thank you that you, you've made provision for us to be free at the cross. And the moment we're born again, we all have access to that freedom. You made us free. And, Father, we're going to begin to journey with you to walk in and embrace that freedom. And let that become our lifestyle so that we can encourage others who are bound and, and addicted and hurting So that our lives or their lives don't end in tragedy. Thank you, Father. You're so good and you love your people so much. And this is why you're calling us to to give it all, to lay it all down. So I thank you for grace being released right now, Father. I thank you for your sons and daughters feeling the pleasure of God right now as we turn towards you. We want you to have your way. We invite you to have your way in our hearts, our lives. And I thank you for the people who are